Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. So happy you could join us and so happy that you're sharing your time with us. We appreciate that and we know how precious time is. So that you share it with us makes it even all the more special. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. He is a native storyteller and you can find him and his wife on the internet. All you have to do is Google Ken Quiethawk, native storyteller, and you will learn a lot about his talent, his gifts, and his way of sharing history and cosmology with generations. Tonight, I have Alan Hunter back with us, and I am so excited because we're going to be delving into yet another of his fascinating books, The Six Archetypes of Love from Innocent to Magician. This book addresses the need to understand the role of love in life, which is very important, this compendium of starting, startling insights relates love to the spiritual development in each of the six universal archetypes. Attempting to answer such questions as, what is love? How do we find it and how can we keep it? Why are there so many puzzling forms of it? And why do so many people get it so wrong? The book shows how love relates to the self-awareness and spiritual development for each of the archetypes. Whether describing an innocent, a magician, a monarch, an orphan, a pilgrim, or a warrior lover, the featured archetypes' profiles offer essential guidance about what level of awareness is currently being lived, how to transition to the next stage, and how love can be nurtured. Each stage of development is tied to the ancient wisdom of the tarot, the visual images of which act as reminders as to what to expect on life's journey supported by real-life and pop culture examples that provide more immediate accessibility. Alan's a professor of literature, a counselor, a therapist, and the author of nine, I think it's more than that, books about the regenerative power of writing and literature. He spent much of his professional life exploring how literature and storytelling, including soap operas, tap into the deep and unarticulated needs of society and especially the ways of the heart. 
It's from these powerful influences that we shape our own lives and ultimately our destiny. Welcome to the show, Alan. You've got a lot of talking to do. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to be chatting to you again, Barbara, and uh, I'm delighted to be talking about a topic that seems to me to be pretty vital in everyone's life. It is, and you know, everybody, everybody is searching for it. And yes. the, what what I found fascinating was with the different archetypes, um, they address and look at love differently. And the different archetypes, I was able to sit back and be able to figure out where I was coming from at different types in my life, mm. and that mm. dictated how I was utilizing or searching for love and what kind of love I was searching for. Yes. Oh, well, it sounds like you've used the book extremely well because that's exactly what I, I hoped to outline to people, that at different times in our lives we're at different levels of awareness and energy. And so when we venture into love, we venture into it from that level, not from anything ideal that we might wish for, but we approach it where we are, which can be good sometimes and sometimes can be a bit of a challenge. Well, isn't, I mean, you have six different archetypes and, and yes. theoretically or ideally we move through them as we grow. And, yes. and if in each case we're looking for a different kind of love, how does that make it possible for us to find someone who can be a quote-unquote life partner? Yes. This is a really vital question because a lot of people uh, ask me this. They say, well, if I'm at such and such a level and I find someone else who is at my level, um, what, what happens next? And so I would answer that by saying that, yes, of course, you know, we start where we start. But the the best type of love is that we start with someone who is at our level, um, at our level of understanding and awareness, and that the relationship we build there does not stagnate, but it allows us, I hope, to grow and develop and to know the next level and to learn the lessons so that we can become the fullest version of ourselves. But we can't do that unless we know there are other levels. And many people I come across uh, simply don't know that there is anything more to experience, more to ask for, more to know about. And so they remain sort of comfortably stuck, but ultimately they get bored. And when people mm -hmm. get bored, that's a recipe for, well, um, unhappiness of every kind, but especially uh, you know, divorce seems to be predicated upon one one partner becoming somehow dissatisfied or bored or stuck and the other one perhaps wanting to move ahead and then suddenly you've got a crisis that doesn't solve anything. So it's very important to know where you are and where your partner is and to be able to work together because you know, once those wedding bells chime and the confetti is thrown and all the guests raise the champagne glass and say all those lovely things, it's not over. In fact, it's just beginning. It's a journey. And that journey requires a lot of awareness, a lot of change, and a lot of adaptability. 
And that, you see, is well, not what we, we talk about too much in our society. Um, at Hollywood, all, actually. At all. You know, Hollywood, God bless it, gives us these wonderful rom-coms. And I love rom-coms. I, I, you know, I'm such a sap for them. And I, I, I take my Kleenex and I weep and I say, oh, that's so lovely. And they walk off into the sunset and it's all great. But what Hollywood doesn't tell us about is, okay, what happens next? What happens next yeah. when, uh, you know, they're, they're in a small apartment in lockdown, for instance, in New York City? <laughs> How are they going to manage to be with each other? You know, what happens if they have a child and suddenly that changes the dynamic because there's this small human being who needs attention and needs love and suddenly there's not enough attention for everyone else? I've certainly seen that. And if there are more children, how does that change things? And then we grow older, and oh, gracious, those children grow up and they, they, they leave home. And we have imagine this whole... Imagine that. <laughs> imagine that. Shocking. Well, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. You, know, you don't want them staying with you until, until old age. But they leave home. Oh, and so suddenly we have this thing, empty nest syndrome. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for people to say, oh, uh, so where are we? How are we growing? And mm -hmm. who are we when we're not totally wrapped up in taking the, the kids to piano lessons and skating lessons and you know, <laughs> all the things that middle class people uh, in my neighborhood seem to do so readily? Um, who are we? And is, is that it? Are we going to remain static from the time the kids move out to the time that we die? I think the well, answer yeah, is know. definite. Hmm. Oh, yeah? it, 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 it's, it's amazing because I, I counsel as well um, yes. on the spiritual side, and, and I can't tell you the number of people, women, that, that as well are my friends, that I keep saying to them, you know, your kids are growing up. You have to start looking at what are you going to do with your life next. Find areas mm. to, to get involved in now so that when the nest is empty, you aren't lost and, and yes. you know, just into in depression. And, and while, mm -hmm. while they all say, you know, oh, i got lots of time, no, you don't. They go <laughs> from diapers to cars yep. in a heartbeat. Yes. And so... But but I think especially today I I know I know we were talking earlier and mm. while you go from innocent to orphan and and the orphan stage is a kind of selfish stage kinda yes and yes. and and all of us I think at this point in time because of of the situation we're in because of the virus have been shoved back to orphan stage to a great degree. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and and a lot of us are feeling sorry for ourselves, and a lot of us are yes. are in are you know the longer you are confined, the more selfish you get you the more i i mean mm. th these are not times where unfortunately you know I can only speak for myself, but while it would be a great time to be writing very spiritual stuff and putting it out there and everything like that, it's like you know I begin to 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 get selfish and think well. When is life going to change? When can I get back to normal? Mm. And, and, of course, I don't know what normal is. But, no. But, um, <laughs> yes. So, so that this may be a time. I know that they were saying that there's a higher percentage of suicides. There's a higher percentage of, yes. of um, you know, uh, domestic disputes. So that, so that mm -hmm. 
when we get put into that category, if people knew more about these different archetypes, they might be able to recognize this, oop, I've slipped a cog and I'm back at the orphan again. You know, maybe I better maybe I better take out my stuff and figure out, you know, how am I going to become, you know, the um the neck the pilgrim. How you know, I have mm-hmm. to start looking for where I'm supposed to be going as opposed to, you know, mourning the fact that I'm stuck. So, yes. you know, yes. I I think Let's describe the different levels because I think yes. I think yes. for those who haven't read your book, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to talk about these different levels, and they're not going to yeah. understand exactly what you mean. So, yes. why don't you start with innocent and move on? All right. Well, this this may take a little time. So, uh, but uh, got, it's important, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Well, the the idea of the six archetypes is uh, based on reading of the Western world's finest literature. And what I discovered by surveying 3,000 years of literature is that in every case where the literature was any good, where it survived from Homer onwards, um, the main characters, be they male or female, are asked to go on, well, Joseph Campbell called it a hero's journey. I think it's more than that. I disagree with some of what Campbell says there. But I think there are six life stages or perhaps life lessons that we have to learn. I call them archetypes because they can be envisioned as people, uh, types of people um, that were readily available. In fact, that brings me to the tarot. Actually, in the tarot cards, uh, it seems to me, although I hesitate to say that I'm an expert in the tarot. I'm just observing what is there. So here are these six stages. And you say to yourself, okay, you know, what are the six stages? What are the mileposts I, I am invited to achieve? Because we're all invited to go on the journey of self-actualization or whatever one wishes to call it. We're all invited to do that. We don't have to accept. That's fine. And we don't have to go the whole route. But I think it's useful to know that this is, as it were, the roadmap for the highest version of oneself. And the comparison I always like to make is, you know, if you don't have a roadmap telling you what's likely to be ahead, when you go on vacation, you might drive down the road and stop at the first motel and say, well, this looks nice, and spend all your vacation there as opposed to driving the extra 10 miles and finding the Grand Canyon or whatever. Uh, If we don't know it's there, we can't get to it. So the six archetypes, okay? We start off in the world, and this is particularly poignant to me because I've just... uh, just yesterday, my uh, my niece had a baby, and I now have a, a great nephew, um, oh, and wow. it's very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's great, great to see them so happy. We start off as children, as babies, and you think, well, okay, great, babies can't do very much, um, but as I, I'm a always eager to tell people, babies are very, very, very good at two things. Well, three things, actually, but two things. They love and they trust. They trust mother and they love mother. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to say, hmm, do I really? uh," They just do it. And that, of course, creates love in the mother. Now, that's, that's not very powerful, you might say, because it's a baby. 
But when we learn those early lessons, and working with disturbed adolescents has taught me that, if you learn those early lessons of love and trust, you are able to carry them through the rest of your life. And if you don't earn those early lessons, as some of the disturbed adolescents I worked with in England, if you don't learn that because of very bad parenting, then it becomes really impossible to hold a decent adult relationship. So here is this child that arrives with this blessing, this extraordinary blessing, loving and trusting. And with luck, we hold on to those lessons for life. We know that we are worthy of love, and we trust people and expect them to trust us. Now, that's a powerful, powerful lesson, because I suspect that our purpose on earth is to learn how to love each other. I don't think our purpose on earth is to gather dollar bills. I don't think our purpose on earth is to, you know, have as many physical sensations as we possibly can. I think it's to learn to love and accept each other, which is what a baby does. A baby loves mother and accepts mother as the wonderfully imperfect, perfect person that she is. So that's the first stage. Now we need to hold that lesson loving, trusting lesson, because at a certain point, we feel that all is not perfect in the family. You know, mothers aren't perfect, fathers aren't perfect, life isn't perfect. And so we look around and we say, um, I need more than this. And that's the second stage, that's the orphan. Now, real-life orphans, and they are they exist in huge numbers, especially now that we are, um, we are putting children at the borders in cages, literally orphaning them, uh, and so on. Real-life orphans are terrified. They look around and they say, I need to attach to somebody in order to survive. And that's true. Orphans need to attach okay. to somebody who can help them survive. And in the best of all possible worlds, we go through the orphan phase and we recognize that we have to accept and love others even though they may not be at all like us, but they are orphans like us. And that way we survive. Now that is a wonderful ability and it points in two directions because an orphan can attach to a positive or a negative other set of people. And so positively, we hope that the orphan finds people who are, who are sympathetic and nurturing. And that's presumably what school is about for many people. And negatively, the orphan can become a gang member or a, a bully who has enough friends just because they're afraid of him or her. And that's, that's the orphan who is frightened and needs something to believe in. Now, that's an important lesson for us to learn again because we're all going to be projected throughout our lives, not just at the age of, you know, five or seven. We're going to be, throughout our lives, we're going to be projected into situations where we feel vulnerable. And at those moments, we feel like orphans. We, take a, we start a new job. Oh, gosh, you know, who, who, who do I talk to to let me know? What, how, goes, how does this go? 
For a moment there, we're orphans. When we lose a parent, no matter what age we are, at some point we feel, I've lost, I've lost the person who cares most about me. Yeah. And, and, and that is what you were describing when you said, here in lockdown, there are a lot of people who feel like orphans. We've lost all the familiar things that let us know, well, who I am. I am the, the friend of so-and-so. I am the person who lives in this house or this apartment. I am the person who has this job. And for most of us, would, we've would lost it, contact. Sorry? Would it be appropriate to say that an orphan is defined by their stuff? Yes. That's beautifully put. And a lot of us are, you know. Um, yeah. We're defined by our job our stuff, mm-hmm. and sometimes by the people I know, but really by our stuff. And we are an, a nation, a civilization that loves stuff. And now we can't go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can shop no. online, and apparently Jeff Bezos has made $75 billion since the lockdown. So, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing retail therapy to console themselves. Um, Well, that's fine. I've nothing against that, you know, um, because, you know, the orphans of this world will have two very, very wonderful um, attributes. One is they'll recognize other orphans. And the second is they will be the most welcoming people you can possibly imagine to those other lost souls. The trouble is that if you're being an orphan, you're trying to fit into what society tells you to be. Uh, that because, you know, you, you are adopting the norms of society in much the same way as you might if you traveled to a foreign country and you had to fit in with the way they do things there. Uh, and that means that to some extent we give up the rebellious and even the creative part of ourselves. We fit in. We don't make waves. We are the good employee. We are the good neighbor. We, are, we follow the rules. And that's great because, you know, we need people who follow the rules. God, God save us. You know, they are the people who keep this civilization stuck together. They follow the rules. They pay their taxes. They are the policemen and the, and the wonderful people who keep our society working. But there's a price to pay there. Uh, And sometimes, for some people, it becomes too much. Uh, For some people, they are are wonderful, wonderful orphans, and God bless them. I think that uh, there is nothing to compare with their ability to look after others. Uh But when we become become discontent, a bit like the teenager, the teenager who doesn't want to do what mom and dad do because mom and dad do it, that's when we start to ask difficult questions, which are, who am I and what am I supposed to do? And that's when we transition to the next phase, the pilgrim. And the pilgrim isn't quite sure what he or she wants, but is going to ask a few questions to try and find out. Now, this is a very, very uncomfortable phase for everybody. Pilgrims are a real pain in the neck. They keep asking questions and they won't go away and they won't, they won't accept the standardized answers. And, um, you know, ask any parent who's had a teenager who just doesn't want to fit in. And that's, 
most parents who've <laughs> had, had children at that age. And so the pilgrim asks these questions, which is a, an externalization of the main question, which is, who am I? Who am I? Am I just going to be this person who loves his or her parents and does what they do? Am I going to marry the boy next door, the girl next door? Is, you know, am I going to fit into what mum and dad want? Or am I going to find, try to find out who I am? And that is often accomplished uh, for many people at, at college. Uh, mum and dad say bye, and off they go to college, and they start off majoring in astrophysics, and they wind up uh, taking a degree in you know, something completely different, musicology perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, uh, in, instead of us, I, I, I'm kind of laughing here, but uh, that's a time to be respected because that's when people are asking, who am I? What am I here to do? What does it mean to be me? So uh, that's the, so far we've had the innocent, the uh, orphan, and then the breakaway is the pilgrim. Just as people in the distant past used to go on pilgrimages to shrines, uh, actually, they still do. They go to the Camino Trail to this day, hundreds of thousands of people every year. Not this year, because most of the places are closed, but uh, uh, they, they go on a spiritual pilgrimage to say, well, what is my relationship to God, to the divine, to love, to divine love? And when they finish the pilgrimage, perhaps they have an answer but most of us will find an answer because what we do is we find somewhere where we're going to, for the time being at least, put our life energy. And it may be in a loving relationship. It may be in a particular job. It may be both at the same time. And at that point, we stop, um, we stop searching, although we don't never stop asking those questions. We stop searching, we say, this person, this job, this life. And that's when we transition to the fourth phase. We transfer ourselves to the fourth phase, the fourth archetype, which I call the warrior lover. And that is the peaceful fighter for what he or she loves. And ask any single parent what that means the single parent who works way too hard to try and look after the kids and sacrifices herself or himself, that is someone who is a warrior for, for love. Um, very, very much a, a presence in our society today where there are so many divorces. Um, and some of the, the finest and strongest people I know are single parents bringing up their children in love. Uh, in the spirit of love and devotion. Now, that's the f I'm, I'm sort of racing through these, but that's the that's the fourth stage, um, and we do that whether we're a single parent or a, or, a, or a parent with a partner, because we put a lot into our into our children, um, and we may put a huge amount into our jobs, uh, really fighting for what we think is valuable. And when we reach that phase, we are in danger of a couple of things, but one of them is it's exhausting, so we may burn out. Mm 
And this, this addresses what you said earlier, Barbara, because when we burn out, we kick back to that earlier phase, usually to orphan phase. We say, ah, somebody look after me. Oh, I need to win the lottery. I'll buy more tickets. You know, oh, the only friend I have is this bottle of wine <laughs> or whatever it is. We want someone to save us. I think that's a mistake because when we burn out, it means we're being asked to move to the next phase, which I call the monarch pair. That's the king and the queen. A monarch pair, king and a queen. The king stereotypically is stern and can make difficult decisions and will will execute those who are rebellious, you know, very, very stern and masculine. And the queen is more nurturing and forgiving. We need both sets of qualities within us. And when we have both sets of those qualities, that's when we can let the children go and say, okay, you're on your own now. Fred or Frederica or Amy or Bill, you're on your own now. This is, this is your chance. Use it well. And then we, we trust them to do it. We don't micromanage them as, you know, in my college teaching experience, there are not just helicopter parents, but there are what I call bulldozer parents who, <laughs> who seem to be there to flatten the way for their child. Um, it's meant in a loving way, but it would be more helpful, I think, for the parent to step back and say, you're 18, you're 19, whatever age you are, you sort it out. You sort it out. Come on, let's find out. It's not up to me to sort it out. You sort it out. And that's a very big growth point for the child. That's what a king or a queen does. A king or a queen doesn't sort out every little thing. They say, okay... Um, ministers uh, of the government or whatever, you sort it out. They know whom to trust and when to trust and when to withdraw trust. So that's the fifth stage. I, I hope I'm not going too fast for everybody um, because the sixth stage, and bear in mind that we have to remember the lessons of all these stages as we go forward. You can't skip a stage. You can't say, um, uh, you can't forget an earlier piece of work. Just like school, you know, when you went to school, you learned to read and write. You didn't say, okay, I've learned how to do that. I'll forget it now. No, you had to carry those skills through the rest of your, your school career. And finally, if the king and queen, the monarch pair, are doing their, their job properly, what happens is they're able to change the energy of the people they deal with. And this is, this, is, this is the magician stage. And the magician does not make things happen. The magician makes it possible so that other people can make it happen. That's a different concept, isn't it? This is grandma. This is grandma who, uh, uh, who says to little, little Sonia or little... Um, William says, Sonia, you're not behaving very well, are you? And little Sonia goes, oh, and maybe is awakened to the fact that she could choose to behave better. Now, little Sonia might be four or five, 
Uh, but Grandma, sitting there placidly, says, Come on, Sonia, you can do better than that. Is not compelling anybody, but is asking them to be the best version of themselves. Again, in love, in a loving way. When we, when we catch a glimpse of ourselves, and we're all capable of being magicians, but when we catch a glimpse of ourselves at the, that stage, it's almost a surprise because we go, oh, I didn't have to say anything, but everything changed. Huh. Oh. How interesting. And that's a little bit of the magician that any of us can do if we allow it. If we approach the youngster and say, you shouldn't do that, you're rah, 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 all we get is a fight or a, yeah. or a discontented youngster. But if we go forward and say, hmm, what would make it possible for this to work for everybody? You know, let's, let's, let's take a moment and just work out, well, what do you, what do you really want? And what's possible? Suddenly, we are inviting the other person to be the best, most thoughtful, and perhaps the most loving version of themselves. So that was a long <laughs> explanation, but I think our, our deepest calling as human beings is to learn that love operates at very different levels and that to be attracted to somebody and to feel hot and cold and wonderful is great, but it's only perhaps the opening of the door to a whole level of, of growth and development. You know, you look oh, at those absolutely. folks who, yeah, you look at those folks who've been married for 50 years or whatever, and they don't get hot and cold when they look at each other. You know, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, they look at each other and they, they see something that they have both reached together and they know that there is acceptance and that they've been able to give love and they've more love to give. Mm -hmm. And that's a yeah, really I'm, wonderful thing. I'm, I'm with you on all of it except. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. In my mind. In, in, in my mind, is there a possibility that, you know, innocent to orphan to pilgrim, absolutely no question. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that between the lover and the warrior, the monarch pair and the magician, mm -hmm. mm. It, it feels to me as though there's a little pilgrim in between those steps. In oh, other yes. words, reaching for more and mm -hmm. questioning and then arriving mm -hmm. at another level, as I don't, to me... To me, you know, just in my own perception, as I, mm -hmm. I, I, it feels to me as though you you would reach a point where you you would say to yourself, there has to be more. What more yes. is there? How can I get there? And then you go on to the next level. So that so that mm -hmm. pilgrim would be transitional between lover, warrior, and monarch pair, and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. magician. Yeah. Because well, because I'm, without. Yeah. You know, it just—it just feels to me as though you have to ask, "Is there more?" And if there is more, how do I get there? And then get there. Yes, yes, yes. And and I'm so glad you said that because you have to ask that question: "Is there more?" You know, after the credits roll for the Hollywood rom-com, is that it? Well, that's a really good question to ask. And then throughout one's time with one's, one's significant other, one's partner, one has to keep asking that question. 
You know, just because we've been in the pilgrim stage doesn't mean uh, that we've learned the lesson and now we can forget about it. We keep that lesson all the way through our lives. So well, there we go. We, we become warrior lovers, and we say, "So what does it mean to be a warrior lover? Is this, you know, mm-hmm. is this how I want it to be? Is it how you want it to be? Is this the best version of who? What? What more is there?" And so that lesson from from being a pilgrim, an archetypal pilgrim, stays with one. And sometimes when one is at whatever level one is at, um, but say one is one is a warrior lover, you know, we slip down for a moment or or, or 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 several days to the pilgrim level where we say, well, well, what do I want from this relationship? What do I want from my life? And those are the the conversations one has to have with one's partner, one's significant other, to say, well, what do you, what do you want, and are, are we getting what we want, and how do we how do we make this grow? So I, I, I thank you for asking that because I think that's what we have to recur to again and again. And the monarch pair, they have to be able to ask the difficult questions. You know, they have to be able to go back to the pilgrim stage, only in order to ask those questions, get some insight, and then ascend, as it were, back to their highest possible level of being, which in their case would be the monarch pair. So it's, uh, it's, not, like, um, it's not like you get uh, a medal pinned to your chest and that's it. <laughs> uh, it's more a case yeah, kind of... of like the, kind of like the four-star generals, you know, you get two stars, three stars, four, and then <laughs> maybe you want to go back again to the third level for a while. Um, mm-hmm. but, but certain levels would address certain situations in life. And, yes. and, you know, love is something that everyone seeks, that everyone wants, yes. but not everybody even understands what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and in the different levels, the kind of love that is sought for, um, desired or, or, or utilized is different. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, you can't put... You can't put, you know, a, a monarch pair type love into an orphan's life and expect and expect the orphan to thrive. Yes. So, yes. basically, when you're looking for a partner, looking for someone to share your life with, um, it's important to sort of try to figure out, you know, just where they are in their own personal development, and yes. can you blend with that, work with that. And 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 there's no way in hell that you will ever be able to identify. You can maybe identify where a person is level-wise, but there's no way you can make somebody shift to another level until until they're ready to grow into it themselves. So that's right. It, yeah. It's 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 kind of like if you if you are. I don't know, even say you're at the pilgrim level, and mm-hmm. and you meet somebody that meets all of your criteria as good partner, let's go. Mm-hmm. And but they're in the orphan level. You you mm-hmm. can't you can't raise them up to go with you. You have to either accept them for where they are and love them for where they are and not mm-hmm. expect them to change or move on to find someone else that, you know, is going to challenge you in the way that you need to be challenged. 
Yes, well, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll reply to that by saying, you know, spot on. And here is a story that happened to me in one of my English classes when I was a, a, a college professor. Um, and that is, I was running this English class, and most of the students were, uh, were sort of the usual 19-year-old. But there was an older, older lady there, older than them. She was maybe 35, so not older in that sense. And uh, she was coming to college for the first time. And uh, I would run my class by asking people to ask questions. And then they would, they would mull these questions, research them, and write papers. And, you know, this seemed to work pretty well for most people. They would ask questions about things that they thought they knew. Anyway, um, so uh, this class was progressing quite nicely, and this, uh, this young woman of 35 was doing really well. And then one day she came to see, see me and said, uh, you know, can, can my husband come to the class? And I said, of course, you know, does he want to sit in? Yes, he, he, he really wants to know what we do. And I said, well, there are no secrets, you know, bring him along. Uh, so he came along, nice gentleman, and he sat there looking rather uncomfortable, and I introduced him, and we did what we, what we did every week. And um, then two weeks later, this, this woman came to see me in my office hours and said, I have to drop my, uh, this class. And I said, oh, but, you know, you, you're doing so well. I mean, wh why? What, what's gone wrong? And she, she said, well, my husband is feeling really threatened by the person I'm becoming. And I said, well, um, I'm sorry to hear that, but I don't, think, uh, I don't think you're becoming somebody totally different from who you were when you walked in through the door. You're just learning about asking questions. And she said, yes, he doesn't like that. He likes the old me. And I said, well, you know, I, I can understand, although I couldn't at the time. I said, um, you're always welcome, and he's always. Bring him back to class. Well... Uh, she dropped out and she dropped out of college completely because she felt that her marriage couldn't withstand the fact that she was changing from being the obedient, stay-at-home, um, uh, very pretty uh, spouse, and he was the breadwinner and the, the man of... And they, she, she left college in order, she thought, to save her marriage. Now, I don't know what happened to her later. I hope, her, I hope they're both very happy. But I suspect that once you start growing, you can't just stop growing without there being a terrible price to pay. Um, and I would say that she came into the room as an orphan, wanting uh -huh. to, to do what she had to do in order to get the grade. She started to become a pilgrim, and then she realized her marriage, which was two people sort of clinging to each other, um, that was my impression, uh, couldn't withstand her growth and her change. And I was very sad about that because as an educator, my, my credo is, yes, we like people to grow and, and change and discover the totality of who they are. But I also realized over 32 years of teaching at the college level. Actually, it was more than 32, if I think of the time I spent in England. But anyway, over all those years of teaching, 
what I realized was that you know sometimes people go to college and they return home to their parents and their parents say, well, what did you do to my son? You know, he never used to question <laughs> everything the way. You know, what did you do to my daughter? He, she never, and I said, I, I, I haven't done anything to them. But of course, I had a, arranged, as it were, a class in which they felt safe to ask questions that they didn't feel safe to ask at home. Uh-huh. So being an orphan is very safe and don't get me wrong, these were wonderful people, you know, really, I uh, became friends with many families and great, great folks, wonderful fun to be with. And sometimes the sons and the daughters would break away and this, this bewildered the parents. You know, what happened to my, my little girl, my little boy? Why, why is he, she not the same as before? And so when we're in love, like... The, the, the married couple I told you about, we select people, it seems to me, that we're comfortable with, people uh-huh. who are at our same level. And that's well, fine. So let's, let's, yeah. let's look at how each of these levels experiences love because yeah. I think, you know, I think it's so important and, and let's also uh, understand that, that there, there are six types here. It doesn't necessarily... Um, lock you into any particular area. You know, mm-hmm. we are we are during our lives. We are all of these and and more, and we probably hop back and forth and and all over yeah. creation. Because frankly, <laughs> I've, I've I've become an orphan these days. Now that I've been yeah. you know confined for four or five weeks, I don't intend to stay mm-hmm. there. But um, mm-hmm. you know, so that so that it's it's not judgment. It's just it has to do with a state of mind and security yes. and trust. And, and mm-hmm. so let's, you know, an innocent, well, innocent babies experience a different kind of love. But let's, let's hop to the orphans because yes. um, yeah. they're kind of, and there's nothing wrong with any of these stages also. No, well, um, no. It's I, just, I... It's just, you know, it helps you to define where a person is coming from so you can mm-hmm. deal with them appropriately. It has nothing to do with a stage, or a level of intelligence. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for, for saying that. I, I hope that I'm not going to uh, imply that it has to do with people uh, not having enough intelligence or worldly knowledge or, or whatever. Um, but there are different levels that we're at. And mm-hmm. one is not better than another. We need all the levels. We need everybody doing the best they can at whatever level they are. And that, you know, that's, that's true of me. That's true of everybody. You know, I, if I, 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 I hold my job at, or held my job because I'm now retired at a certain level, at a certain level of college. Um, uh-huh. It didn't make me better or worse than people at a bigger college or a smaller college. It just means that that's well, I where I happen to be. What's so phenomenal, what's so great about these different levels is that if you learn about them and, and how they work and how they portray you to other people, um, you, and you have an understanding of them, you can stop yourself from time to time and say, okay, so where am I performing today? 
am I yes. am I being a pilgrim? Am I being a lover warrior? Am I am I attempting to be the magician? You know, mm-hmm. and and you know that's a level that I think is fleeting. It comes and it goes. Yes. But <laughs> at least at least with me it does. You know, but but you can yeah. you can identify where you are. And yes. and understand more how people are relating to you because of that. Yes, yes, so, and live so let's, more let's, fully because of that. Yeah, absolutely, if you, yeah, mm-hmm. if, if you understand, if you can identify where you are, honestly mm-hmm. identify, then then you can you can um, you can change it. You can you can yes. if you recognize the orphan. And you realize that you've wallowed in that for a while. <laughs> you can get up tomorrow and say, "All right, today I'm the pilgrim and I'm going for it." You know, so that, <laughs> so that so that so an orphan in love, how would they behave? How would how would their? Well, you know, orphans in in love are very very interesting people because they are very good at identifying people who are uh, who are like them, and they tend to, uh, you know, this is a stereotype, they tend to choose people who are from the same demographic, from the same geographical area. They're not likely to, you know, fly to, uh, to, to Tibet and fall in love with a Sherpa or whatever. They're going, to, they're going to be very much people who value the home, the community, the society they're in, and they're going to ask things like, how does this person get on with my friends? How does this person get on with my parents or my siblings? You know, does this person uh, have the same um, likes and dislikes that I have? Does this person even you know, have the same tastes in interior decor that I have? And nothing wrong with that because I've witnessed over the years of my counseling some severe fights between people, one of whom wants to decorate a house one way and the other of whom says, but I like it this way. You know? uh, and these are, these are fights of self-definition. So mm-hmm. the orphan is likely to find someone who fits in with what he or she feels to be the most valuable and even the most spiritual things. Mm-hmm. This is a person who is going to, um, you know, well, I'm tempted to say this sounds like a judgment, but by some people's terms, this is playing safe. And and there's nothing wrong with playing safe. I know plenty of people who married when they were 19 or 20. They both worked in the same firm and they've stayed together very happily ever since and they've grown together but initially their choices tended to be shall we say somewhat traditional and somewhat safe and so these are the people who really really do love the traditions of family uh, the traditions of thanksgiving and you know traditional weddings Um, just down the street from where I live there are several bridal shops and in normal times, when we're not locked down, there are lots of young people paying huge amounts of money that they probably can't afford in order to have oh. a wonderful wedding for all their friends and relations, all their closest, you know, whatever. And 
I have I, I love that they do that because it's a very wonderful inclusive thing to do and yet part of me says this is very different from the impulse of say the pilgrim who says you know I'm going to elope I'm going to elope yeah. to wherever and come back and you know the ring is going to be it's not going to be a diamond ring it's going to be a brass ring with a piece of coral in it or something exotic or melted down from a roman coin you know and I think oh okay well you know you you're doing things a different way a rebellious way it doesn't mean the love is better or worse or certainly doesn't mean the love will endure better because I think when we're in love and married or, or with a life partner, being in a society that holds us is very important. And if we want a comparison, you might say in some societies, say in India and Pakistan, there is a tradition still of arranged marriages. And those marriages can be very, very harmonious and very loving. And they are held together by the strength of the entire family saying, you know, this is going to be your life partner. Get on with it. Uh, Learn to love so, them. Yeah. Yeah, and they're wonderful. I mean, I have, I have several friends who have had arranged marriages like that. And, you know, there is a lot of happiness in that. And also a lot of growth is possible because uh -huh. one, one looks at one's partner differently. But in order to accept that one's parents are going to tell one who one is going to marry... One has to be, to some extent, an, in orphan land attached to those parents and that family and that system. So, you know, that, that is, the, is the, the power of that system. Paradoxically, though, uh, people who are orphans tend to judge themselves by such things as, you know, the size of the house they have the size of the ring they have, where they go on vacations, which brand of car they drive. They tend to feel those to be very important, whereas other people, especially pilgrim rebels, um, don't feel the same way at all. So when one looks at the orphans, one can say, wow, you know, these are, these are the... Uh, Again, this sounds judgmental, but the, the word that some people use is the conformist. But these are also the people who are going to make sure society runs the way it's supposed to. And they're going to uh, raise children according to the way that they believe children should be raised within their society. And that's a very wonderful, loving, and stable force. Now, if we want a contrast we can go to the pilgrims and the pilgrims may be kind of loosey-goosey and uh, we may be kind of kind of horrified at the way they run their houses <laughs> uh, and the way they raise their children and the things they either value or don't value and pilgrims will be all the time kind of challenging and unpleasant you know if they're really being pilgrims they they won't go to family dinner parties without picking an argument <laughs> which is not very loving. But at one level, they're simply saying, you know, I'm, I, I feel I'm different. Will you acknowledge that I'm different? Is it okay for me to be different? Well, in and, a way, don't the pilgrims identify with their own inner truth instead of someone else's inner truth, too? Yes, beautiful, beautifully put. It's their 
inner truth, even if they're not entirely sure what it is yet, but mm-hmm. they, they're right to pursue that inner truth. Yeah. So that's exactly right. So a pilgrim in love yes. is not traditional. Tends not to be. Now, this is where things get a little difficult because pilgrims can be very attractive. They're unconventional. They don't do what's expected of them. So they can be very attractive to orphans, orphans who can't quite break away yet. And when they they get together, um, this looks great. It's very exciting for the orphan, and the pilgrim is just so delighted to have somebody uh, who is... dependable and there but then the challenge is is the orphan going to be able to grow and often that's too much to ask it's too threatening it is too threatening for many people to to give up what they know and they love in order to take a chance on on this other person who probably hasn't got it all worked out yet and that's where heartbreak happens most often, where perfectly wonderful, loving people fall in love with those who are unpredictable, um, maybe uh, don't even share the same sense of what, um, what uh, conjugal or marital fidelity should be, at least at that point. And that's, that's the realm of heartbreak. I see quite a lot of that. Um, I think if people were aware more aware of what they what they were getting into if the pilgrim could say you know this is a fine person but essentially this is an orphan i better not stay with that that person how do you but you know that said there is a chemistry with love yes logic and reason does not apply that's the trouble isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yes. you can't make someone change. You can't help them to grow. You can't, you can't do anything to shift their own perspective. And yet, um, is that enough? Knowing that there is a difference, is, is there? Does that difference allow the pilgrim to grow into new levels and the orphan to stay the orphan? Is is that ever appropriate, or does that ever happen? Well, uh, yes, it certainly happens where, um, you know, uh, we we see it, uh, as far as I can tell, in the lives of some very great artists where they needed to grow and they needed an anchor and they have chosen someone who is perhaps to some extent um, rather ordinary because an ordinary person won't, um, won't uh, infringe on their... Yeah, won't rock the boat. We'll just be there and be loving and faithful and perhaps will allow them to do whatever things they need to do in order to develop. I mean, uh, I think Picasso um, was an example of that. He, he certainly had glamorous wives, but what he wanted was uh, just someone who would be there at the end of the day. He didn't, he mm-hmm. didn't say to himself, oh, I must marry an artist at the same level as myself. If that were possible, uh, he said, "No, I just need I just need someone who's going to make a home for me, and then I can pursue my my art in the way I need to pursue it." Um, 
he got through several wives. They, he was apparently not a very, not a very loving spouse in some ways, or maybe he was as loving as he knew how to be, because he was so driven by his creativity. But pilgrims, you see, bored easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, pilgrims get bored easily, <laughs> um, and it's you know the pilgrim is a very creative archetype because they're always asking how could we do things differently. And as you said earlier, yeah. that you know after being locked down, you're feeling a bit orphan-like. Well, you know, so are most of us. We're feeling yeah. slightly <laughs> like motherless children, you know. Uh, but then if we recognize that, instead of sitting around and going, oh, this is awful, or I don't like this, or doing like those people in, in, in Michigan taking assault weapons and standing outside the state capitol, which I'm not sure I understand that, but in, in, instead of feeling um, somehow like a victim, we could say, okay, this is a passage of time that is very difficult. How do we want things to be when we come out the other side? How, uh -huh. how you know, am I going to change my life? I, have I already changed my life? Well, I, I know I have. I don't run around doing useless things as often as I used to. Um, I've, and I'm saying, okay, I could, um, I could change that when I go forward. What are the things I needed to, the habits I needed to re-examine and what are the things that I need to do that I haven't been doing and so for me for instance um, and I may as well you know give a, a concrete instance I went uh, to to Harvard Square which is just up the road from me which is usually bustling well under lockdown there's nobody there except uh -huh. for the homeless people and because there's nobody there, you see, oh, there are quite a lot of these people sitting in doorways, and there are no passers-by. And you suddenly realize, wait, they got money to live from passers-by, but there are no passers-by. And then you realize that because all the businesses and restaurants and cafes are closed, there are no public restrooms. They can't even get a drink of water. They certainly can't use a bathroom. So wait a second. And suddenly it came to me in a, in a rush, wow, this is really hitting the most fragile people very, very hard indeed. Now, that's a call to action, isn't it? That's a, okay, we, what can we do to make this better? I don't know the answers. I don't know what the answers are. I know that a neighbor of mine has taken this on herself, a young woman, and uh, she she has collected through GoFundMe and things like that several thousand dollars, and she goes and she looks after these people by delivering them um, bottled water and you know um, snacks, sealed snacks like granola bars or whatever, so there's no uh -huh. danger of COVID being uh, transmitted. And she hands out a little a little bag to each of them, clean pair of socks. Uh, I don't know what else is in that, that, that varies depending on what she can get. And she just goes around every day and gives it to these people. And I thought, wow, what a loving gesture that is. That's the opposite of the pilgrim who says, why isn't the government doing something? 
and the odd children <laughs> saying the odd the orphan uh, who says why isn't the government doing something that's someone who says well the government's not doing something i better and i don't know where it's all going to lead but i'm going to start here that's mm-hmm. that really wonderful again loving impulse um god bless Actually, her you know i i'm, I'm just so impressed there's a great parable about two brothers who are walking down this long, long beach, and mm-hmm. and the tide has gone out and um, stranded, you know, various marine creatures there. Mm-hmm. And as he goes along, the younger brother picks up the starfish and flings them back into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you know, go along a little further, and the little boy picks up another one and flings it back into the ocean. And and then again, and so on and so on. And finally, the big brother looks at him and says, what in the blue places are you doing? You can't make any difference in, in, in anything by doing this. And as the little brother is flinging a starfish back in the ocean, said, I made a change for him. Yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that great? Ah, yes, made a change, one starfish at a time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's where it begins. Do. Yeah, you do the yeah, best so, you can do. So so the the pilgrim in love is, is um, Well, the pilgrim unique. in love is restless, yeah. Okay. Uh, is likely and, to be restless, is likely to, to uh, move from one person to another very quickly, a pilgrim always knows what's wrong, but is not so good at finding out what's right. Uh, and I think we've all been in love with people who've said what's wrong with us rather than acknowledging what's right with us and hoping to grow that. Uh, uh, I think that's probably <laughs> that's everyone on the planet right there. <laughs> uh, so the pilgrim can be restless, seeking after variety, seeking after something exotic and failing to see what's right in front of him or her mm-hmm. uh, but that's part of the learning process you know we have to we have to learn that just because we're looking for for diamonds doesn't mean that this isn't a gold brick right at our feet oh sure and so um, then the, so, so, so then we come to the lover warrior which mm. is um a very noble grouping of people, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Willing like to, to die for so. a cause. Yes. Willing to or, die for a cause. Yes, willing to die, for certainly to fight for a cause. And that doesn't uh-huh. mean necessarily physical fight, but to struggle to get what he or she believes is worth loving. And, so um, in, you know... So in yeah. love, these people would be, what kind of people would these people be to be involved with? They'll uh, be very do determined. Do they always have a cause? You know? uh, well, they, this, that's a really good question because um, at the moment we're talking about personal relationships. Uh, yes. But every one of us is more than just our personal relationships. There's our professional relationship and there's our community relationship. And mm-hmm. a, a warrior lover is probably going to be somebody who, if, if he or she is fully aware in all these three aspects, is going to be somebody who, in the community, is fighting for what is right, 
in a gentle way, you know, presumably looking at citizens' rights in a professional way, will be doing a job that he or she believes in. And, you know, I've, I've taught young people as they've gone to graduate, and many of them have said, you know, I want a job I can believe in. And when they've found one, it's been, oh, okay, this is where I want to put my energy. And some of them have worked extremely hard at that. Um, not always um, has it been easy. And they're the same people who will say, I want somebody in my life that I can invest for the long term in. And when they found that person, they will, they will be fiercely uh, attached to that person and fiercely challenging, too. Uh, so if the, mm -hmm. the other person is in some ways um, not, uh, not uh, operating from their highest level, that will be the person who says, come on, you know, we can, we can do, there's a better version of you than that. Let's, uh, what, what would it take to release that version of you? But when we have, um, it within the, the personal domain, which is what we're speaking about now, that is going to be the, the person who's going to insist on um, being straight uh, to the point, uh, speaking true, uh, saying whatever is difficult that needs to be said, and if necessary, having those difficult conversations, having those arguments and seeing where things are going. Whereas a more timid person will say, oh, I'll, I'll avoid the argument and then, and then everything will be peaceful and it'll be just fine. Well, sometimes we need to have the argument to clear the air so that it can be fine. And there are lots of people who, who don't know how to argue. In my counseling business, quite a few people come to me who, who don't know how to talk to each other and are afraid to argue. They haven't been taught how to argue. They've never seen it. They think an argument is, is one person saying, I hate you. Whereas I would say, no, an argument is about somebody saying, we, there's something not right here. Let's get it right because I love you, not because I hate you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, my experience of undergraduates that... Um, at colleges has been many are afraid to enter discussions because they see a discussion as a fight to the death as opposed to as an exploration. And that's the warrior lover. The warrior lover will explore and, you know, explore in, in, in sensual terms as well. This is the person uh -huh. who, who in, in bed, to put it uh, bluntly, is not going to settle for just the same as... as uh, every other time they've been in bed together. This is the person who will say, well, you know, uh, what, about, what, about, what about this? What happens if we, you know, what happens if we try massage oil or something? Um, uh, uh, and the, the reply expected will be, well, let's try massage oil rather than, oh, it'll make a mess. <laughs> uh, this is the person who's going to be perhaps exploratory, perhaps look at sex toys. Uh, about which there is very little prejudice these days, although in times gone by there certainly were prejudices. And, um, you know, sex toys are there for a reason because actually some people find that they make for a much better and more intimate sexual mm -hmm. life, loving life. 
and that's the intimacy that the the warrior lover almost expects and demands. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't use sex toys, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> of course not. I'm just using that as an example of the way people can think in inventive ways, perhaps even more romantic ways. So uh, instead of um, instead of going uh, for a holiday at the beach for a week or whatever, this may be the person who says, but wouldn't it be romantic if we did this? which might be, a, I don't know, a safari in Africa or something, you know, looking at the wildlife. And, my goodness, yes, that'll bring you closer together. That might be well, quite know. hard. Yeah, that might be very <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, uh, I've been in Africa, and it can be very uncomfortable, but it can also bring people very close together. Or, you know, really, those wonderful people you sometimes come across who say, I'm going to take my wedding money, and instead of having a splashing wedding, splashy wedding, I'm going to go and serve food to the uh, to the poor at my local homeless center, and I'm going to do that every week for, you know, three months. Wow, that'll bring you close together. So it would. You know, it would. the war- the warrior lover will 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 be different and quirky and uh, always ask questions. And sometimes we'll come up with these amazing things that really are loving. So then then we go on to the monarch pair. And this is the one that you say this really does take a couple, you know, yes. you know, whatever, whatever you want to call a couple these days. Mm. But it takes two to be a, a monarch. You can't be a monarch pair. You can't go to that level without being it with someone else. Um, I think think that the business of life can only be lived in relationship and however you define that relationship um, is up to you but I think there are certain lessons life lessons that cannot be learned unless you are able to be vulnerable in a real loving relationship now it may be possible well, for for personality. <laughs> well, that that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, no, but I, 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 you know, the the quality of the the king and the queen, you have to have that within yourself, and be matched. We hope with someone who also has that within themselves. Things go wrong, it seems to me, in relationships when one person takes on all the masculine, regal stuff and the other takes on all the female, nurturing stuff, uh, and none of the other. That's when you get the stereotypical, you know, mum who says, wait till your dad gets home, you're really, you're really in trouble now. And uh, yeah. mum mom is always trying to placate the children and trying to make them best friends and dad is always the severe one you know i'm sorry that's not good for children you know all it teaches no. them is polarization whereas if you have two people who have access to both sets of qualities within themselves who know when they can say to junior you know that was really a dumb idea and i'm going to tell you exactly why and also do it in a loving way, which is to say, you know, I'm not kicking you out of the house. You know, still love you, but you have to hear this. 
then we have that regal quality of the, the king and queen, the monarch pair. It's, um, it's not easy to do that, especially with family members, because we, we get annoyed at family members, whether they're children or brothers and sisters or, or God save us, parents. You know, they, they know how to push our buttons. And we have to be able to say that who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and do that in a loving way. Now, example of that. What's, what's an example of that? Um, talking today to a friend of mine whose mother is, well, she's nearly 90, I think, and she's infirm. And he said, you know, I just had to take charge and say, mother, you know, you've got... A, You've got a, a fractured disc in your spine. You've got you know, onset of Parkinson's. You're diabetic. You cannot live at home safely anymore. I am going to arrange it. And that's a hard thing to say to a parent. And there was, I'm sure there was a lot of pushback, as there was with my mother-in-law when we tried the same thing. She was all pushback. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to say these truths, and often the person will say, thank you, um, maybe not at the time, but often I'll say, thank you for arranging that. I don't know why I fought against it so long. And that's, where, that's, that's the monarch pair. You have to make difficult decisions, knowing that not everyone is going to be happy, and taking it on the chin and saying, you're not going to be happy, but this is the way it has to be for your own good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I don't see enough of that. I see a lot of parents afraid to say that to their children, and I see a lot of children afraid to take charge of their parents in their failing later years because it's a huge challenge. I mean, my heart goes out to anybody in that situation, and yet... It is, it is a, yeah, it's a tough place to be, but, but if you're fortunate enough to have parents that live to be that old, then, yes. you know, yes. I, I certainly hope my son took took note of how I treated my mother because, you know, yes. I would expect him to replicate it with me. So Good, you're good. <laughs> I don't know how you treated your mother, but it sounds as though you treated her very well if you want it replicated. Um, yep. And you you had to be firm and loving at the same time. Yeah, and I'm I think sure. it's it's a choice. It's it's a big choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not always are 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 the parents cognizant of the love that is being given them. So that yes. so that sometimes it's a lot harder. Um, yes. But then you go on to the magician, mm-hmm. which which is another kind of love altogether, yes. which is really kind of cool. Yes, well, the magician is what we, I think, are all capable of. Any, anybody is. I mean, orphans are capable of it, as, and innocents. Uh, not that there are many innocents. Well, perhaps uh, I will change my, my, my statement there, because, um, you know, a baby, especially a grandchild, arriving in a family can change the whole dynamic of the family. Now, the, the, the baby doesn't know this. The baby's just needing... Uh, Diapers and uh, and uh, and milk, but uh, I've but, certainly seen. But, Sorry. But but at the same time, mm-hmm. you could put innocent at both ends of this spectrum. Yes. 
Yes. Because there exactly. are, there are there are parents that end up in diapers and totally dependent. Yes. And yes. And so, they can teach so us a great deal about our own ability to to engage with loving somebody even when they are dependent. Uh-huh. And when we we we've spent a whole life with them being thoroughly independent. So, you know, the 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 magician, like in the tarot, the highest cards are well, the highest card is the magician, but also it pairs with the fool. Um and when we are at magician stage, it's almost as though some people would say, or could say, we're, we're being foolish. Uh, some people would say, well, just take your parents and stick them in an old, old age home and pay for it, and that's that. <laughs> uh, and I've certainly heard people say that. Or you yeah. can, you can uh, say, well, you know what? This is going to cost me a lot of time and effort and energy and it'll break my heart because this person is going to die soon and this person perhaps has Alzheimer's and doesn't recognize me but I'm going to do it anyway mm-hmm. and other people might say well you're being foolish and others would say no no you're accessing within yourself reserves of love and caring that perhaps you didn't know you had Yeah. and don't there can be frustration and exhaustion and all those things, but there's love too. But the the magician will, will do that, but perhaps my earlier description of the magician is, is still most useful um, because the magician is the person who doesn't necessarily do anything but causes others to feel safe enough to change. And... I think a really, really good therapist will do that. A really good therapist won't tell you what to do, won't say, well, you know, what you should do is you should leave your husband and, you know, desert your kids <laughs> and, you know, sell your car. No, that, that, that's not a therapist at all. A really good therapist will, li- will listen and then make maybe one comment, which is uh, right to the heart, and the person will go, oh, yeah. I'm really looking at this back to front, aren't I? Wow. And the person does the work themselves. So the magic has happened. It's not the, it's not the stage magician where the rabbit is, is dragged out of a hat and everyone goes, ooh. Uh, that's, that's, that's not a magician at all. That's, that's, a tr- that's a trickster. That's wonderful, but it's uh-huh. not what we're talking about. The magician... Uh, is and there are lots of examples of this. Uh, uh, if if we look for them, we know what to look. The magician is the person who can come into a room, and I've certainly seen this in, in teachers. Uh, the teacher comes into a room, and a rabble of third graders immediately gets quiet, pays attention to the teacher, and does you know whatever task it is they're asked to engage in, and they find, wow, this is really fun. I didn't realize this was so much fun. And it's not because the teacher has made it fun. The teacher has provided the space so that the students can discover that it is fun. Oh, yeah. Um, I I don't know if you know, but I taught special ed for 25 years. Ah, well, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) One of the first things I used to do with the kids is, you know, gather them into a circle 
and mm-hmm. take glitter and make the circle, you know, between me and them. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and then... And then, you know, we, we did whatever project we were going to do, talking about whatever aspect we were going to talk talk about. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay. And then they would look at me and I'd say, you can take some of the magic with you. And, and of course, I got cursed uh, my parents because you can't get rid of glitter on clothes or right. anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that sparkle, that element of magic mm, did mm. something so that so that they – they were re- they remembered what we talked about. They were reminded of it, and and you know every time there was a, a sparkle or something at some point in time, they would stop because they would remember the magic, and that's that's oh. um, it, it's so cool. That's that's, that's beautiful. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh, I love it. I love it. It was fun. Yeah. I was known as the sparkle lady for a while, but <laughs> they did make me stop after a while, but it was so much fun until they did. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the, the, the wonderful things about, you know, these different archetypes in love, mm. um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a wonderful thing to know and be aware of, but, but you, you have applied, you apply it in many different places and ways, and it also applies to one's spiritual journey because the the initial love has to be with yourself and all of these different aspects of love applied to your own development your own progress on your own spiritual journey is very important as well very very yes this is this is a spiritual path and i think that's that's what we're here on earth to do we're here to explore this spiritual path uh called love uh, most major religions, most religions I can think of, think of a god or a deity that is loving and that is teaching mm-hmm. us about love. And, you know, love thy neighbor is, um, you know, that's a powerful one right there. I'm surrounded by neighbors and sometimes they're a little difficult to not, to love. <laughs> but uh, you love Let them alone anyway. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can dislike them, but you have to love them which means accepting their right to be whoever they are. Yeah, I, that, that's a, that is a hard lesson to learn. And yet, um, where I live, there is a, a neighbor, who shall mm. remain nameless, who, <laughs> who, is always, who is always nasty and vicious and, and really downright mean to me. And mm. it wasn't until... And, and it took me a year or so to understand what she was teaching me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I never I never responded in kind with her. But mm-hmm. it just one day when she was ranting and raving at me, mm-hmm. I realized that if I responded in kind, I would become her. Uh-huh. And yes, yes. And it was like holy mackerel. And and so I mm-hmm. I. I, I turned to her and I said something nice about her garden and something nice about her health, and I moved on. And, you know, mm. from that moment on, she stopped being nasty to me. But it was, oh. she was one of the biggest lessons I have learned. Oh, and, that's a good and, one, yeah. And one of the meanest, vicious people in the world. <laughs> 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 but, but, uh, but clearly, well, I'm, 
my love doesn't extend to bring extend to bring her, you know, lunch on uh, at noon. But but, <laughs> but sometimes you have to you have to with love understand something that no matter what hits you, it is it is a it's a lesson for you to learn to embrace something and a part about yourself. Yes, and absolutely. Yes. So so I think I think it's important for people to understand how how you apply loving yourself to these different stages as well. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, well, the, yeah right. that's a beautiful example. Sorry, yes, you were saying? No, but, but quite often, you know, we don't love ourselves so we don't feel worthy for certain things, and that's mm. ridiculous. So mm. the more worthy we become within our own eyes, the more our magnetism attracts new levels of people into our lives. and. Yes. And sometimes yes. sometimes what you're attracting you don't like, but you you are a magnet and therefore you're attracting whatever your level is at that moment in time. And mm-hmm. you know, if you're not liking the people that you're attracting, maybe it's time you worked on yourself a little bit to attract a different kind of person into your into your reality. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, you know, similar energies attract. And so as they as the saying is you know, look around your friends, and uh, uh-huh. if you don't like them, what can you learn from that? Because you attracted them. They're your friends. They're at the same level as you are. Mm. So we have to uh, we have to recognize these lessons. And sometimes, you know, the 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 neighbor who rants at us in the way you described is uh, is, is frankly can be frightening. And then we have oh. to say, well, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to respond with, you know, hateful things, which just makes life worse for everybody, and as you said, turns you into the other person? Or can we look at them and say, okay, here is a person who has been, who's probably been hurt, otherwise, you know, she wouldn't behave like that. Ah, so so compassion for for the hurt. Uh, sadness for the damage and how can we make make it possible for this person to be a, a reasonable person in our lives what does what will it take you know, running away won't do it um, you know calling the police won't do it but sometimes the right words which you chose the right words at I the did. right time can can change but everything they- I will have to also admit that mm-hmm. it was a rallying cry to war. And ah. I I had all sorts of great ways to get back at her that, <laughs> that, that were that were possibly possibly not as legal as some might think, but <laughs> but I I but but it was like, you know, do I want to do I want to, you know, take part in this where where I know I can do worse than she can do, but that isn't mm. the point. The point is yes. to grow from it. And I will admit yes. that there was a great deal of inner debate before I finally decided this that it was better to just say nice things and try to get out of it. But <laughs> but I did I, I I learned the lesson. I didn't but but I saved my 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 responses for yet another day in case I need mm. them. So, you know, there's Yes. Yeah. I haven't totally outgrown it. I've just 
put it off. And, 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 you know, it's in a closet. If I ever need it, I can go to that closet. If I don't need it, it, it that's fine. But, mm, yeah. but I, I think that, that you know, the, the element of, of loving our neighbors as ourselves, loving mm-hmm. and being compassionate to other people, especially mm-hmm. during this time frame, I, I think oh, some, of yes. the, some of the most beautiful things have happened with um with with people showing their compassion um yeah you know, I don't know if where you are but the um the fire department and the police department parade through the town different parts of the town every mm-hmm. evening with their sirens blowing and and oh. whistles blowing and lights flashing and it's Super. um it you know it it's an amazing thing to know that there are people out there that are there if I need them yes and yes. You know, it's it, it 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 it's a wonderful thing to do, and I think the the most meaningful, touching things that are done um, to help other people, to remind other people of kindness and love, cost mm. nothing. Mm, that's right. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the you know, if we think about those those wonderful people who are working so hard for our, our safety right now um, uh-huh. and who know they're running tremendous risks but who do it anyway wow I mean there's a reason people call them heroes because they are you know they are they are warriors for a loving cause looking after the sick uh, that's uh-huh. a very very high level to have, re- to, to have reached in one's job it seems to me um, and God bless them. They they're running substantial risks. We 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 can never appreciate them enough. No, that's true. And and there are lots of people that have, you know, flown in to volunteer, you know, mm-hmm. from places that aren't hit as hard as as mm. the East Coast. So it 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 is it's terribly moving to see these these wonderful, compassionate stories of people who mm. are giving of themselves like this. Um, mm-hmm. so, so when you come to the point of, you know, people who are listening here, first of all, you mm. know, the book is The Six Arch- Archetypes of Love, which is, you know, easy to find. It's on Amazon. But, but mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you determine seriously where you are Mm. In in your own your own personal life, as far as love, what it, is it? What you need? What you think you need? Is or what you're capable of giving? How do you determine where you are? Yes, um, uh, there is no short answer to that, um, but I would say that uh, the question, as it were creates the answer because I think wherever we are we have to ask ourselves that question we have to say well where where am I today in this relationship with these people or this uh-huh. person whether it's it's family or or a significant other and then we have to observe we have to observe very closely and say you know am I behaving like an orphan here or am I taking the lead in order to make things better? And if so, how much am I taking the lead? And am I allowing people to be uh, to take responsibility for themselves? So if, if we hold that thought for a moment, 
You know, the warrior lover um, will try to do everything for people. But the monarch pair is going to step back and say, okay, uh, I love and trust you to do the right thing. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So it's a movement from, as it were, fighting the fight for somebody, for the person that one loves, and stepping back and saying, are you going to fight this yourself? Now, how do we determine that? I think a lot of the time, um, a lot of the time, many of us are in orphan phase because that's easy. You know, we we've, uh, we accept certain roles that we have with the, those we love, and they accept them, and they're, they're non-threatening. So, the stereotype of you know. Mom or dad goes out to the office, comes back in the evening, they cook the meal, they all sit down, and they watch TV. You know, there's, nothing, there's nothing jarring there. But it may just be that most of the time we need to be in that comfortable um, rhythm of uh, not really thinking too much because life is, is difficult. You could say, well, this is an orphan relationship. Nothing very much changes there. But that doesn't mean it always is going to stay in that place because we always have the opportunity to check in with our significant other or our family, which is what mealtimes used to be, and, and ask, you know, so how is it going? What it, what's changing? How are, you, how are you? That used to happen in every family. They would all gather around the meal table um, nowadays, very few people uh, do eat together, it seems, from the statistics. And yeah. sometimes that was uncomfortable, but everybody was there, and everybody had the opportunity to be real. So dad could be grumpy, and mom could be you know, pouty, and the kids could be afraid of their report cards, but everyone had the opportunity to be real. Now the question is, did they take that opportunity to be real? because that's where the pilgrim comes in and starts asking questions. So how was school today, Tommy? Fine. That's not a, a deep exchange. It's built of people trying not to say anything. But to say to Tommy, wow, you know, um, here's something I came across today I thought would interest you. Let's talk about that or whatever. That starts a conversation. That is when the pilgrim of exploration is invited, as it were, to the dinner table or invited into the relationship. Um, And when that happens, then the the conversation or the rapport or the relationship rises to whatever level it is capable of rising to. And where where the the, uh, warrior lover is concerned, that would be a case of, well, what do you believe about this? And implied in that is if you tell me what you believe i will respect it even if i don't agree with it uh-huh. and that what then about, gives us <clears throat> yeah what about those and there are it, it is unfortunately the majority of the people out there what about those who are seeking love yes what about those who are wanting love in their life but don't know how to get it there yes really big question 
most people seek love by trying to fit in. And so they will get a community because they all support the same team or they all watch the same uh, Game of Thrones or whatever is hot at the time. And they, that, that gives them a sense of community. And they think that if they find someone within that community, that will be enough. Um, that's not a bad place to start, finding common ground. But the, the real key is to ask, well, is there something that goes beyond the ordinary conversation? Otherwise, you know, the ordinary conversation is endless talking about the weather. Uh-huh. Uh, we can all talk about the weather and our sports teams and whatever, but can we go a little further and ask difficult questions such as, well, what, what do we talk about next? Well, we talk about what we care about. Can we talk about what we care about beyond the sports team? What are our values? Most people look for a relationship that's going to fit into the box they've prepared for it. So they, they're going to live in the same place, have the same job, see the same friends, and they're going to have a significant other who fits into that. And that can be wonderful. But the truth about a relationship, any relationship that's alive, is that it's a bit like bringing home a, a puppy, only you don't know how big the puppy is going to grow. And you think, oh, it's just going to be a cute puppy. But what happens if it turns out to be the size of a rhinoceros, you know? <laughs> How is that going to change your life? Are you prepared for that? Or if the puppy or can becomes it be housebroken? Too... Can it be housebroken? And, you know, I'm not ta- taking that facetiously because a lot of people are now adopting pets because they have nothing to do because they're locked in. And quite a few of them are now taking the pet back and saying, I had no idea for so much trouble. I can't, I can't deal with this, uh, which I think is very sad for the pet and for the person. But actually, yeah. that's what a relationship is. It's like taking on a commitment and you don't know how big or demanding it's going to be. But by the same token, you don't know how rewarding and invigorating it's going to be. In fact, it may stun you. Ask any new parent who says, wow, <laughs> nobody told me it would be like this. <laughs> and I'd say, yeah. You can't take that's for sure. <laughs> you, can, yeah, you can't. And yet, you know, the, the statistics are there. You know, the men who uh, are with women and, and uh, leave just before the baby is born or leave when the baby is two months old. They say, I can't take it. And they go. You know, I, I need to have my time with the guys. Um, again, that's a stereotype, but actually it happens. I know several people who were deserted that way, and they just got on with it and raised their, raised their kids anyway, uh, did a wonderful, loving job, and didn't know how much they could love until they discovered how deep it was within them. That, if you're, you know, if you're looking for, for a relationship, if you're looking for love, don't Confine yourself, I would say to the listeners, don't confine yourself to something that uh, checks all your boxes. That's a phrase we hear a lot. Oh, he checks all my boxes. Well, great. (laughs) What about the boxes you haven't thought about? Because there are plenty of parts of us that we haven't thought about. Does this person, can this person challenge you in a loving way? 
Is this person helping you to see things in a new way, to feel differently about certain things? And can you do the same for this person? Ooh, those are big questions. If you want, if you want an enduring relationship, one that is going to be alive and fulfilling for many, many years, these are the sorts of things that one has to ask, not do we watch the same TV programs. It's lovely to watch the same TV programs. It can make for a very cozy and, and cuddly and wonderful evenings. But there may be more that's going on. And so I, I would say, yeah? Yeah, I, th- I think there are lots of um, people that, that, you know, I have talked to about, you know, how do I find my perfect whatever? And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, here's my list of what I want in a person. Yes. And yeah. I always turn it around and say, are you going to be that for them? Ah, good, good, yes. And yes. and I often say, if 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 you know what you want in another person, become that, and then you'll be a magnet to draw that into you. There we go. Become what you want to attract. Yes. Yeah. Because you will attract what you are, not what uh, what's on the checklist. Yes, that's yes. beautiful. <laughs> I, I do a similar exercise. Actually, I say to a person, to, to uh, just did one the other day. I, I said, uh, get me a list, uh, get or create a list of what you want in a significant other. And this young woman came back, you know, I want someone with a sense of humor. You know, he's got to be tall, dark, and handsome. He's got to have a job of such and such. He's got to be interested in dancing. And I said, no, that's great. I said, that's wonderful. Now let's look at each of those items and see whether there's a spiritual value, an internal value attached to them. And I thought, okay. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you want someone with a sense of humor. Okay, what does that mean? Well, someone with a sense of humor is going to be somebody who can see what is silly and ridiculous in the world and is therefore going to be a person who has more than one point of view. Oh, okay. What about tall, dark, and handsome? Well, these are physical attributes, but what you're saying is you want someone who is mentally attractive as well as physically attractive. No, tall, okay, so not a, not a, not a small-minded person. Dark, Oh, maybe a little mysterious. Uh, what's going on there? You know, someone who's who's seen the world, perhaps, and handsome, somebody who can behave in a loving and a handsome way to others. And I said, take every physical attribute and let's push and see if there's a spiritual or a psychological attribute behind it. And that is going to be a lot more useful than finding someone who just looks the part. Uh, so yes, you know, look and ask what what is it you're really asking for, rather than what you think you're asking for. Um, I, I knew someone who I know someone who who was on a lot of the dating um, mm-hmm. apps out there, and and she was looking because she was, I think, five eleven. She mm. her she wanted someone who was at least six four. And she <laughs> negated out. Everybody yeah. who who was under that 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 um 
that that height level, that and I physical said physical threshold. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, I said, yeah, that's yeah. all well and good if all you're going to do is stand next to this person, but if you're going <laughs> to talk to them, aren't there other things that you would be interested in? And I'm not saying you should go for a dwarf. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> inches could could take you away from the perfect match if you're if right. you're that ridiculous. Yes, isn't that, that's, that's a beautiful example, isn't it? And when you said that, I immediately thought of, of Julia Child, who was happily married for life to a man who was about seven inches shorter than she was. She was 6'1", I think. Oh, six wow. 6 feet 1. Yeah, and she was, you know, had a wonderful life with this dear fellow whose name I can't remember now. But, um, you know, she wasn't hung up on the fact that he was quite a bit shorter than she so yes, um, yeah, you know, we, yeah. No, it's it's just it seems to me sometimes our criteria, especially when we're we're young, as we get older, mm. some of those things don't mean quite as much. Just you know, a sharp mind, a great sense of humor, and yeah. and an ability to to converse or or to yes. have stimulating conversations with is so much more important than yes. than you know how pretty are you? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, funnily, you should mention that because uh, a colleague of mine uh, went on the dating sites for years, I think it must have been 10 or 11 years, and um, he uh, had some lovely dates with some very beautiful women, all of whom were, were about 15 years younger than he. Uh, none of it worked out until just recently. He said, uh, "Oh, I've, I think I think I've, I think I found someone." I said, "Oh, good. You know, tell me, tell me more." And he said, "Well, you know, we just have the best conversations." And yeah. I thought, "Ooh, this is sounding good." And I said, "Oh, you know, tell me about what she's my age." Oh, you know, no longer going for the the younger uh, woman. He said, "We just we just have the best." conversations and the best time he said I, I i can't get over it and i said well you know you finally struck oil <laughs> yeah uh, and um it, maybe it took a lot of learning for him to move away from the sense that he felt he was supposed to have someone younger and glamorous and of a certain type but what he really needed he discovered was this understanding and generosity of spirit, a beautiful soul, mm-hmm. rather than necessarily. Um, I mean, she is she's good looking. I've seen her uh, seen her on Zoom, um, uh, but uh, you know, she's not uh, the the much younger woman that he was. He had trained himself to think he needed. We sometimes we have well, to get is. out of our own way. You oh know, yeah, there is an inner our... sparkle that that yeah. makes anybody beautiful. I mean, yes. it's, it's, there's. So, I mean, let's face it. People get gray hair, they they get wrinkles, and their body yep. decides to grow in places where it never grew before. <laughs> but but their minds, you know, yeah. are still there and active, and that's that's mm-hmm. the magical place. That's where that is. honestly, I believe the magic happens. So yes, but but I you know I I think that that you have given some wonderful examples of of tools to understand where you are in life, where you are focusing your energy, and mm-hmm. how to, to not judge, but, but how to understand people to a greater degree so that you don't put your own 
um, you don't project onto them what you want to see, but mm. hopefully you see where they actually are. Uh, uh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm I'm glad it came across because that was my intention, and uh, writing the book was my intention to get this out into the world because there are so many people who who get it wrong, and it's so painful for for so many to get it wrong, and they don't they don't know why they're unhappy. They just know that they somehow well, missed the boat. And, 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 and people who go into relationships wanting to change someone, you know, ah. you know that that's disaster on the way to happen. Yes. And, and yes. you know, I can teach him he'll grow to be my partner or she'll grow mm. to be my, you know, I'll be able mm-hmm. to foster her along so that she understands how she has to transition. No, you mm-hmm. have to love them from where they are and for what they well, are yes. and who they are. Yes. And and, and so, go ahead. You know, I was I was going to say absolutely. You know, and people will grow and change, but you have to you have to love them where they are, mm-hmm. not regard them as as a project or a fixer-upper or something, you know. People are not houses. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think I've of, I often get, you know, saddened by, by people who say, well, I have to get a divorce because he's not on the same, he or she is not mm. on the same level that I am. Uh, and, you know, it's like, who died made you God? I mean. Yes, yes. You know, I, I it, yes. it, it just, um. It, it 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 is a very sad place to be in, and mm. you know you can't fix anything there. You 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 have to step back and let nature take its course. Unfortunately, but mm-hmm. but I mean the different archetypes are you know the more you study them, the more you learn about them, and I think the more important more importantly than anything else, because we have to love ourselves before we can love another person. We have to of understand course. where we are. Yes. Yes. Yes, and uh, you know that there are a few topics that are more difficult because, of course, when we're lonely, which is when we tend to be looking for a significant other, when we're lonely and in low spirits and feeling kind of sad that the world doesn't hasn't provided us a significant other, we're likely to slip into orphan phase. And so, what uh-huh. do we do? We attract other orphans. Uh, and that may not well, be what we want or need, or it may not be what the other person wants and needs. So it's. I have it's, found, you know, you're you're absolutely right, and and I have found that those moments in my life when I was alone, but mm-hmm. content and very happy uh, and very secure. Yes. That, that's when I know the universe is going to say, "Oh no, no, she can't be that content. Let's screw with her," and you know. <laughs> And, and you know, I, I might have been very happily doing whatever else it was, but suddenly there was another person there, and it was like, mm-hmm. this better be spectacular, or I'm writing a letter <laughs> of complaint, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, well, we, you know, we attract who we are. So if we're feeling uh, sufficient in ourselves, if we're not feeling desperate, if we're feeling uh, centered and as though we know who we are, we will attract other people who are the same. But if we're desperate, yeah. we'll just attract desperate people. And who needs a desperate person? 
have been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and it wasn't a happy scenario. <laughs> no. Yeah. So you know but, these these are these are important things. You know, it's not one person rescues the other. It's they both find each other and they agree to work together in a loving way to be the best or to bring out the best in each other. And, and there's a greater richness in life then. It's really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, but changes getting everything. To that, yeah, but getting to that place inside of you where you're content and happy and not settling, mm-hmm. but yes. really, truly blissful. Um, yes. I, I swear to you, there's a, a, a bell that goes off somewhere and, and it's like, oops. No, no, that kind of contentment can't be. Let's. She needs to learn more. So send her something that will, you know, give her that mm. opportunity. And and <laughs> it does. It does happen. Um, yes, it does. I I think I think quite often the universe, you know, they've got a great sense of humor. And, oh, and oh, so, yes. Uh, yeah, the universe definitely likes to to mess with us, and uh, it's part of part of the test is can we can we take it in good humor. Well, you know, if you do, then then magic happens, you know, of all sorts. But yeah. um, <clears throat> it takes a certain amount of, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say total maturity, but slight maturity to to be able to see the challenges that come up in situations like that. But yes. magic does and can happen, and and yes. especially around uh, around loving relationships because. Mm-hmm. Um, Quite often, if you haven't put out a shopping list that is ridiculous, you get a lot more than you ask for. (laughs) That's true. It's true. Yeah. Often the universe has bigger plans for us than we have for ourselves. I know, and it's it's amazing. It's so exciting. I just I just saw the time. Um, Mm. I want to thank you so very much for yet another amazing show. Oh, it's such um, a pleasure chatting to you, Barbara. Well, you know, your material is fabulous, and it's it's, it's fun to learn from. And and happily, you've got nine or ten books out there, so that um, mm-hmm. between between princes, frogs, and ugly sisters, and the archetypes, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have eight more or so to go into. So <laughs> I will look forward. I'll look forward to another book and another show. And and your book is oh. is on Amazon and I will put it on my website as well with a link to Amazon. Highly recommend it. It's a wonderful tool for for finding amazing new ways of of expression. So I think it's 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 well worth a read for sure. Uh, well, thank you for for helping me to get the word out to people. And uh, for saying all those nice things about the book, I, I think um, you know it, it opens eyes. Uh, that's been oh, my my experience working with absolutely. the archetypes of people. Yeah, yeah. No, <clears throat> so thank you again for another wonderful show, and thank everybody for joining us and listening to us. Um, this will be up on YouTube tomorrow, and and if you. Uh, choose to listen again um please remember to to friend us to to subscribe to the channel so that you can be alerted as to when i i uh take another adventurous jump into um all sorts of wonderful material with alan hunter and and other people as well 
Um, we have a great show next week, uh, Monday and Tuesday as well. Um, no, not Monday, but Tuesday. And we have a great show tomorrow with Mark. So please tune in and, and share with us a lot of the wonderful insights that are going on and a lot of the things that we're experiencing. Good night, everybody.